take care of your money in a way that aligns with who you are and how you show up, no judgment. Your money is merely a tool. It is not the goal, it is a goal. It is not the tool, it's just merely a tool so you can reach this holistically happy life. From To Be Magnetic, this is The Expanded Podcast with your host, Lacey Phillips. As the leading destination for neural manifestation, we dispel the woo-woo in order to help you create real, tangible results based on neuroplasticity, psychology, epigenetics, and energetics. Our goal is to normalize the practice of manifestation and empower you to get into the driver's seat of your life in order to manifest the experiences, relationships, and things that most align with your authenticity. Part of our manifestation process entails expanding past your limiting subconscious beliefs. Therefore, by tuning into this podcast with interviews from experts, thought leaders, spiritual teachers, scientists, and those with neural manifestation success stories, you're starting the process of expanding your subconscious in order to see to believe that anything you desire is possible. And by pressing play, the process begins. Welcome back everyone to the Expanded Podcast, Jessica here. Today we have on a highly requested guest. I know you guys are going to love this one. The Budgetista is on Tiffany Alshay. She is an award-winning teacher of financial education. She's a New York Times best-selling author with the book Get Good with Money. She also has a Netflix special, Get Smart with Money. She's been helping millions of women worldwide collectively save over $350 million and pay off over $200 million in debt, purchase homes, and transform the way they think about their finances. She's been featured on Good Morning America, The Today Show, PBS, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Essence Magazine, Forbes, MSNBC, CNN, Fox, and she was the first Black woman to grace the cover of Money Magazine in February 2021. Tiffany is such a powerhouse. It was so expansive getting to chat with her. And it's so funny how the universe really kind of brings people into your orbit at the perfect time. I feel like I manifested (laughs) this conversation with Tiffany as my own selfish expansion, but then also the expansion for all of you guys as well. It was so funny because the week leading up to our recording, I kept thinking, oh, I feel like I quote should be investing or doing something more this month. I didn't really look at anything since, you know, we had our financial episode over this summer and I kind of like set up some investments and then haven't really looked at it since. And I was like, I feel like I need more of like a protocol or something. Maybe it's like a monthly check-in with myself on this stuff. How can I really be more accountable with my finances? And I know there's like a couple other things I want to set up and do. And diving into all of her work, it's a step-by-step guide in how to do all of those things, no matter where you're at financially. So highly recommend her book. But the other thing is she's also such an expander and someone who is so integrated with their financial success to their, she calls it core values, but your authentic code. And one of her authentic code core values is safety and security. And so seeing how she has utilized safety and security as a way to 
not be in lack mentality, but to be in an abundance mindset to start to look and take control of your finances from an empowered place and then create financial support and success to where that safety and security feels fulfilled, feels like that box is checked to a certain level. And really seeing her transformation from having absolutely no money and starting from scratch and building herself all the way up to a very, very successful multi-million dollar business. And also what I love about it is sometimes when you talk to people who are at such a place of success, it might feel really far away. You know, sometimes this happens with our expanders. We're like, oh, we're here and they're so far. There's so many steps in between. But it really, the way Tiffany has approached her whole financial journey is step-by-step. It's very actionable. It's very approachable. It's not daunting. And those small changes are really what makes such a huge difference. Obviously, you guys know we're so excited about making everyone so empowered with their finances. It is such an important thing to learn and to feel like it is not foreign from you. It is something that you can incorporate and put into practice now to create your authentically rich life. This is just going to be such a good episode. You guys are going to be so inspired. I feel like I was talking to a close friend the whole way through, just laughing and enjoying, and you'll get some fantastic tips. And before you jump into the episode, I just wanted to let you know that our pre-sale is available for our Resentment Digital Masterclass. So if you missed the LA Magnetic Meetup where we taught all about resentment, we have a digital version masterclass where we're going to walk through all of the elements that go into resentment, where it shows up in our life, how to clear it, what it might be blocking, a brand new DI, brand new journal prompts, a sabbatic experiencing exercise from Janelle and tips and insight and teachings from all the coaches as well as Janelle Nelson. So if you are interested in that, that is on pre-sale now and you can check it out in the show notes and it will drop on November 10th. So without further ado, here is the Bajanista. And now a word from our partners. Lacey here, quickly interrupting the episode to talk about Bond Charge, formerly Blue Blocks. One of their new products that I think is really, really cool. They came out with a really, really incredible ice face roller that's super affordable. I've been using that daily. So lately I've been swimming in the ocean every single day and it's just been really wonderful for my body. So that threw me into this whole spin of, I guess, biohacking, but also beauty hacking. I think they go hand in hand. So essentially I would swim in the ocean and then I would come home and use their red light therapy device called their mini on my face. And then after doing that for a good 20 to 30 minutes, I would then, you know, put all of my serums on and I would use the ice roller, which I'm still using daily on my skin. And it was bonkers. So combined with the beautiful minerals of the sea, pulling all of the positive ions out in the sea and then doing the red light therapy and then really, really sinking in the serums on my face and shrinking the pores with the ice roller I mean, it's just really, really, really crazy what happens with both of those devices simultaneously. And it's crazy. I even had now my dear friend who helps support us with Teddy. I was like, you have to try this because she talked about how her old roommate would walk around her house always using an ice roller. She's like, I should maybe try that. And then she started trying the Bond Charge one. And I got a text. 
I think it was two days after she started trying it and she was like, this is noticeably different on my face. So highly recommend if you're looking for a really cool, not only biohacking, there's so many benefits to using red light therapy that we understand, cell regeneration, reducing fine lines. Look, I'm still in the anti-aging. But if you can use these devices that are really beneficial on a cellular level, on a DNA level, that also happen to be biohacking and are good for you, it's just a win-win. So just wanted to pop on and chat about that. If you are new to Bond Charge, use the code all caps magnetic, M A G N E T I C, to receive 15% off your purchase. Again, that's all caps M A G N E T I C, to receive 15% off any purchase. If you're not familiar with Byte, they are an incredible company that I think is really, really becoming a game changer in the grooming space. Their product that's really blown me away the most is the toothpaste bites, which is amazing because they come in a glass jar and then they send you the refills in a completely compostable packaging that is zero waste. On top of that, what makes this toothpaste really special is that they have the option of a fluoride, which is an all natural fluoride or a completely fluoride free version. They also use a mineral that is proven to strengthen and restore our white teeth. I also really appreciate that I think they've really cornered the market and the fact that the bite toothpaste only has the actual ingredients you need to brush your teeth, none of the fillers or the things to add texture. Many toothpastes have a ton of extra ingredients in order to just create that paste that is completely unneeded in order to stabilize the water in a squeeze. So if you remove the water and make these little pellets, you can remove all toxic and unneeded ingredients, which to me is brilliant. And that's also why I really appreciate Bites deodorant because they have an unscented version. So somebody who's been on the bean protocol like myself for the last three years to have that option is really rare, especially in the grooming space. And again, it's something that is refillable. It comes in a really fantastic case. A lot of the other less waste deodorants I've tried, they tend to fall apart really quickly, or you have to carry a jar around and use your fingers, et cetera, which is fine. However, I really appreciate what they've put into this packaging that you can continue to reuse, 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 reuse. So if you would like to check out Byte, go ahead and use the code, all caps, TBM for 20% off. And again, that's all caps, TBM for 20% off. All right, on to the episode. Oh my gosh, Tiffany, I am so excited to have you on today. Welcome to Expanded. Thank you, Jessica. I'm excited to be here. So we ask everyone on the podcast, do you happen to know your sun, moon, or rising sign? You know what? No, I don't. <laughs> but my birthday's <laughs> coming up. I know I'm a Libra. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, happy early birthday. Thank you. Okay. And then the other question we ask everyone is, what is your cultural background and upbringing and how did that impact who you are today? So I am Black, African-American, although as well as Nigerian. Both of my parents were born and raised in Nigeria. And so I always felt like at school, I was American and at home, I was very, very, very Nigerian. <laughs> and so part of the nuance of growing up Nigerian is that school is everything. 
and you always had to bring excellence to the table. You're work ethic had to be insane. And so I feel like I still carry a lot of that expectation of excellence for myself. Talk a bit about your parents' involvement in finance and financial advice and all of that and how that kind of really started your career into this path. So I I was I grew up in a house where we talked about money regularly. I didn't know that people didn't do that because I think adults forget that whatever you make normal for kids is just normal. If you wear purple every day, they'll just say, well, then there just must be one color of clothes. And so we grew up talking about money. My father was an accountant and a, and a CFO of a small nonprofit. And my mom was a nurse. And so he really talked about like the, I guess you'd say the academic component of money. This is how you save. Here's how you maintain your credit. Here's how to invest. Here's how to choose a credit card and how to use it wisely. And my mother was like, instead of the academic application, it was the real world application. This is how you food shop. This is how you find sales. And so between the two of them, my four sisters and I talked about money all the time. And I really didn't think about it until probably college when my college roommate was struggling with her financial choices. And I realized, oh, wait, these are things that I know. And that's when I started sharing what I know with people that I know. Okay. So one thing that really stood out to me also was like within your first two years of working, you had saved up enough to buy your first home, which is insane and amazing. Well, not uh, not in cash. Now down payment, you know? (laughs) But still, but still enough for a down payment for a first home. I think that's incredible, especially now the housing market, everyone's like, oh, am I ever going to get a home? So I think just having that expansion, okay, that is totally possible to do. And then maybe some tips on like how you were able to save so much that quickly. So one, I wasn't making a ton of money. Um, I was making, I think I started at $39,000 a year. I was a school teacher at that time, preschool teacher. And so first things first, I moved out of my parents' house. So it wasn't like I was paying no rent, but I got a roommate, aka my older sister, Karen. So one, your biggest expense is typically going to be housing. How can you reduce that? Is it a roommate? Is it instead of a one bedroom, a studio? Is it taking advantage, especially if you're moving in the winter, sometimes they'll give you two months free or or things like that. So being mindful of, can I get my housing cost as low as possible? So I did that with a roommate. Second, I was mindful about figuring out where to live. So we didn't go the traditional route. It took me about six months to find a place to live. I said, okay, apartment complexes, kind of like their number was set. But what we did is we found a woman who was renting out this little house she had. It was like a two and a half bedroom house. And it was actually next to a a childcare center that she owned. And so she was willing for our rent to be more reasonable because she wanted she didn't want like people who are going to be like crazy living next door to her her business, her daycare center. And so I want to say rent then was like 1200 bucks and then we split it. So that's 600 bucks a month, oh you know? Yeah, exactly. And so like maybe now that would, maybe she's renting it out, say for like 2000, that's still $1,000 a month for rent because I split it. And then at the time we couldn't afford cable, so we didn't have it. Well, we did have internet because we, you know, we had our, our cell phones and our laptops and things. And so we were mindful of other expenses. So being mindful of incurring other expenses, something else that helped significantly is that prior to knowing that I was going to move out, was like I had just graduated college. I moved out when I was like 22. So I graduated college at like 21, saved up for a year to buy furniture. 
people would have estate sales. You can look like in the newspaper. And so I would go to really nice, fancy neighborhoods and then look up to see when they're going to have an estate sale, like, or a neighborhood wide garage sale. You get brand new things. So I had a rule of thumb. Wood is fine. No fabric. Cause I don't know, you know, bed bugs and things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I would get like, you know, I got like my dining room table and chairs and things like that, like no couches or anything like that. And so I shopped that way. And then two, I shopped mom and pop stores for like the things like the couches and things. I did that because my mom had taught me how to negotiate. And when you go to a mom and pop furniture store, the couch that I bought, for example, it was originally, I think like, say like 1500, but because it was a floor model and they wanted to get rid of it, I was able to get it for 1200 and it included shipping. Like she was able to bring it to my house. And so I just was really savvy about keeping costs low by having a roommate, shopping sales, shopping mom and pop, and getting things as I went. It meant that my overhead, because I didn't have a couch bill, meaning like I didn't finance a couch. I didn't finance a bed. You know, I didn't finance a a dining room set. I literally would wait. It's like, okay, I don't have my bed right now. I'm going to sleep on this air mattress. And then I would save up and then I would get the bed. Because what that meant was that I didn't have these financing bills because literally there are people who are drowning because they have a refrigerator bill, a couch bill, a lamp bill, a, a, a desk bill because they financed everything. And so now maybe your life would have cost you $2,000 a month, but with all the financing things, it cost you 3000 And last but not least, something that was super helpful because the second most expensive thing you're probably going to pay for is transportation. So because I lived at home prior... Because I just, you know, I moved out at 22, I saved money. And my dad was like, do not buy a new car. It's a waste of money that I'm going to take you to. He would take us all to the auction. Like, you know, like in New Jersey, I mean, I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sure if he's I'm from it. Jersey. Yes. Yes. Like, for, like swap meets and stuff like that. Yes. And so we were, we went to the auction and we would pick out a car and then have our mechanic look at it. And I remember my very first car, it was a 1999 Nissan Altima. There was like 20 or 30,000 miles on it, something really low. If you know about Ultimates, they're like Hondas, they'll last forever. Yeah, yep. It had like next to no miles on it. It was a really good car. I want to say it was either $4,500 or $5,000. And I had saved and I bought the car cash. So now I didn't have a car note. And at least in the state of New Jersey, you don't have to carry full coverage on a car that you own outright. And so I was able to get insurance that was reasonable. Normally, you you know, for, at least for New Jersey, you get full coverage on a car because you don't own that car. And so something happens, the car dealership or whatever that actually owns it, they're going to want that car made whole again. And so I was able to give inexpensive car insurance. So now my housing costs are low, my transportation costs are low. And so that's why even though I was only making $40,000, dollars $40,000 a year. I also, I also increased my income by doing a lot of babysitting and tutoring. So my job paid me about $40,000 and I made about another five or 6000 tutoring and babysitting on the side. So in two and a half years, I was able to save about $40,000 just from that, you know, but, it, you know, I was definitely living tight. <laughs> yeah. The, the noodle budget, as you yeah. call it. <laughs> but also, too, I was young. You know, you don't even realize you're like, I don't mind my blow up mattress. You know, I'm not saying that like it might not pertain to like if you're a full grown adult now, but there's still things to learn about keeping costs low, trying not to finance everything, saving to buy things uh, up, up front so you don't have to finance, you know, potentially getting a roommate, if that makes sense. So those things still apply. But, yeah, I was able to save and I can't remember how much I put down on the house. It wasn't 40. I think I had to put down like 10 or 15. It was a condo. And again, my sister moved in with me and now she's paying me rent. 
that 500 she was paying before or 600, she paid it to me and I put it toward helping me with my mortgage. So smart. Okay, so then the next kind of chapter is when you were hitting a rock bottom of sorts, when the recession hit, losing your job. Talk a bit about that chapter and then how you kind of rebuilt again after that. So it was really hard because up until I want to say 26, so I moved out at 22, almost, you know, 21, 22. And then up until 26, I would call myself financially perfect. I was literally, I was just following the blueprint that my parents gave. Do this, do this, do this. I said, okay, okay, okay. At 26, I said, I'm grown. Why should I listen to people who are smarter than me? (laughs) And so I leaned into a friend. I remember a time, this is back when I didn't understand that just because you had expensive things didn't mean you have money. Because I was young. So I had a friend of mine who I'd known a couple of years that had been on spring break some years back. I like to call him um, Jack the Thief. And so his name is not Jack, obviously, but I'm like, so Jack the Thief, <laughs> JTT. So I had met JTT at spring break, like, you know, I don't know, like 22, 23. So we'd been friends for a couple of years. And Jack always had nice things. I remember he had like a Lamborghini. He had this fancy apartment in New York. And so I remember I asked Jack, I was like, so how did you get rich? And he said, oh, I invest. And I said, can you teach me how? And he said, sure. And so he said, the first rule of thumb when investing is you use other people's money. I said, okay, what does that mean? He said, do you have credit cards? And I did. I had one credit card that my dad had told me, whatever you put on it, pay it off every month in full. So I did. And he said, no. He's like, what's your credit score? And at the time it was great. It was like 800 or something. And he said, you can open up other credit cards. And I was like, okay. He said, did you know you could pull money off a credit card? I was like, what? I did not know that. So he's like, yes, you could go open up these other credit cards. So I opened up two additional ones and he said, pull money off. I think I want to say I pulled off, was it like 15 or 20,000? I think it was $20,000. And he's like, pull off this money and then we're going to invest it. I was like, okay. So I pulled this money off. I remember sitting in the bank and I must've looked like such a baby because I'm in there in the bank in my nurse's uniform. Because when I taught preschool, they used to make us wear nurse's uniform so we could get our clothes dirty. <laughs> oh my god! So here I am. And I look so young when I was in my mid twenties. I'm like, here I am asking the people at the bank, can you give me $20,000 off a credit card? Even though I've never asked for that before. Cause that was the bank that I always banked at. And I remember distinctly them asking if I was okay. Is someone forcing you to do this? Can you imagine all the red flags? I'm just foolishly like, no, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I know. So they gave me this stack of money like I was a rapper uh. and I went outside. And I was like, okay, I got the money. And so, because I thought to myself, well, we signed a contract and in it, it says that I could sue him if you want to give me money. Girl, he was gone with that money so fast, but I didn't even know he was gone because now all of a sudden I had credit cards where I didn't have them before. I had just that one low balance one. So I got to spend it. So I went from owing 20000 to owing 35000 Wow. Because, and I didn't spend it like on clothes or anything, but I bought like some program to show me how to start my own business. And it was with a, I still know this guy to this day. It was with this financial advisor that's still really well known. I won't say his name. And so he had this coaching, everybody's coaching program. So they had one back then. It was $15,000. That was the top tier. And I really wanted oh to learn how to have Girl. So I swiped my car. Cause I'm like, well, I'm about to be paid. The The premise of the investing was that my friend owned boutiques in, in he was from um, Paris, France originally. And he would travel back and forth from the U.S. to France. And he would bring goods for like um, very American things like Levi's and Converse because they went for much more money in France because, you know, like we like French perfume and that's more expensive right. here. So that was the thing that's like he used it. So he said he used the $20,000 to buy those goods to ship them to the stores and for them to sell. And he was like, you know, it was going to make me $2,000 a month for two years. I don't even know what I was thinking. 
So it was some crazy amount of money that my return was going to bring, which is obviously, that's like impossible. But I said, I'm about to be rich soon. Let me purchase this program so I can learn what to do with all my incoming wealth. Purchase this program for $15,000. So now I'm $35,000 in credit card debt and happy as a clam. Like, <laughs> about to be rich. Six months into not hearing from my friend. I'm calling him. I'm calling him. I'm like, uh-oh. Because like, you know, I'm paying the minimums. And I'm getting nervous. I'm like, hey, you told me in six months I should start to see my first return. Crickets. And then like, or he would call and say, oh, oh, you didn't get the money? I deposited it. You didn't see it? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Do it again. Let me call the bank. It was almost a year of playing cat and mouse with me. He's terrible. But he's, he ended up getting locked up and going to jail because, you know, that's what karma do. Yeah. Yeah, Because he tried a scam on the U.S. government and see, they're smarter than me. So they got him all the way together. (laughs) And so, but so I had that credit card debt and here's the thing. I was a really good saver. And if I just buckled down and said, Tiffany, you owe this 35,000, but guess what? You have saved 40,000 in like two and a half years. You could do it again. But I didn't want to admit that I had played a role in the place where I was. So I only paid the minimum. The smart thing I did do is because I still had really great credit, I did this consolidation of the cards and I rolled it over into a, a like a 0% interest rate card. I think it was like almost two years, like 18 months or something like that because I had good credit. So that was a smart thing that I did where I was like, okay, I'm paying the minimum, but it's not going to interest. It's going directly to the principal and I'm going to get my money soon. So I had 18 months to figure out what to do. And then after a year of him realizing he's not going to give me my money, I said, I'm going to buckle down and pay this thing off begrudgingly. And the recession hit and I lost my job. And I was like, wait, what? You know, if you're a teacher, you get the summers off. And it was at the end of the summer, like August. I said, okay, Tiffany, it's a new year. September's coming. That's when school starts in New Jersey. You're going to start off and you're going to save and you're going to work overtime with, you know, babysitting and and tutoring and things. And you're going to pay this off in two to three years. And they were like, yeah, so we lost our funding. It was a nonprofit-based school. And, you know, there's no job. And there was no place to go because it, as a teacher, if you're a teacher, you know that in September they have their teachers because you have to. Yeah. So there's like, where it's not like, a, oh, I'll just like apply for another engineering job. And so I was living off unemployment. My mortgage was drowning me. I took money out of my 401k to try to make the mortgage. That quickly dissipated. And I remember I t- asked my, my older sister, Karen, the one that had been my roommate, I said, what do you think I should do? And she said, well... Basically, what's the worst case scenario? I said, did they take my house in foreclosure? And she said, what would you do then? I said, I guess I could ask my parents if I could move back home. And she said, well, why don't, why wait? Why not do that now? And so I moved back home. I didn't even tell my dad. He was just like one day, like, you're here a lot. I'm like, yeah, I live here now. (laughs) (laughs) I was too embarrassed. I was just, because I used to, because they didn't live far from me anyway. So I would be there all the time. And then one day he's like in the morning, like, so... You slept over? I was like, yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, I I moved back home. I was 29, going on 30. So I was feeling really embarrassed and ashamed. It was like 2009, 2010. I rented out the house to a friend of mine and my friend promptly stopped paying rent. Now, you know, I moved out so someone else could help me with the mortgage. She stopped paying rent because she lost her job. And so I ended up losing the house to foreclosure. So I had $35,000 in credit card debt this $220,000 home mortgage. I'd gotten, by 26, I'd gotten my master's. That was $52,000 for that student loan debt because I largely, I paid off my undergrad. My parents had helped. And then also too, I um, commuted. So I didn't have like a huge bill for undergrad. But I had, I owed almost $300,000 in debt and I just had no job. And I was 30 years old living at home. And I just remember feeling like such a loser. 
And I remember distinctly because Lisa's the baby of the family, my baby sister, Lisa. My parents have like a mother-daughter home where the basement is almost like an in-law suite, where the basement has like a living room, a, a bathroom, a kitchen. And so that's where I had been living when I was in high school. That was like my room. And so Lisa was living there. She was like, mm, just because you home, girl, you can't stay here. This is my room now. Because she was in <laughs> high school by then. And so I had to go back to sleeping in my middle school bed, like an extra medium bed. And it was like my mom's clo- like walk-in closet now. That's why she kept all her African clothes. And so she would just come in and forget like, oh, I'm sorry, my dear. I forgot you're here. I was like, oh my gosh. And I remember <sighs> one, my it was my 30th birthday. I did have a birthday party with my friends, but then I had to come back to my parents' house. I remember laying in the bed tears rolling down the sides of my face. And I just remember saying, yo, the last time you laid in this bed, Tiffany, you were like 13 and you had more money saved. Cause I used to like babysit when I was 13. And I think I had like $4,000 saved from babysitting money. I said, you had more money when you were 13, the last time you laid in this bed than you do at 30. And I just started, I just boohooed the night away and just thought that like life was over and I was never going to get back on financial track. And I stopped talking to my friends. I hid out. I didn't want anybody to know that I was moving. I lived home. Unemployment barely paid any bills. I was late on everything. And then finally, my one of my best friends, Linda, she was like stalking me like a good friend, best friend ought to. It was like, girl, where are you? And then finally one day I called and I said I was going to fake the funk and just say, everything's fine. But you know, your bestie knows you. She's like, first of all, you've been MIA. And second of all, what is that tone in your voice? And I just started crying. And she's like, what happened? I was like, I lost my job and I lost the house. And I lost, I don't have any money. And she was like, is that it? She's like, have you looked around? All of our friends are broke. She's like, girl, I'm calling for my mother's house phone right now. <laughs> and we both started laughing. And I was like, you are? She's like, yeah, if you picked up your phone, you would know that I'm broke too. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And then she was right. When I looked around at our friend group, because it was the recession, everybody was struggling too. It released the shame that I needed to release. And I said, Tiffany, at the end of the day, you have the blueprint of how to manage your money. You're literally living in that house where you were taught that blueprint. So I whipped out, like, this is how you budget, Tiffany. This is, you know how to save. You know how to earn a little extra money. And as I was fixing myself, friends were like, Tiffany, can you show me what you're doing? Because you seem to be doing better. So I started to show them. And then they asked, you know, their friend said, hey, my friend said that you're really good at, like, managing your money. Can you show me? And before I know it, it was like friends of friends of friends of friends asking. And one of my best, my other best friend at the time told me, you should turn this into a business. And I was like, I don't know, could I? And I asked Lisa, like my, the baby sister that wouldn't give up my, uh, my high school suite. I said, Lisa, what should I call myself? The budget queen, the budget diva? She was like, no. Nah. She said, you know, the um, fashionista? I was like, oh yeah. She said, yeah, that's not you. You don't dress cute. She said, <laughs> but you're real cheap. You should be the budget nista. I was like, you know what, what Lisa meant for shadiness, you know, God used for good because I'm the budget Lisa to this day. Oh my God. I, I know. It. And so, yeah, I started the budget Nista helping people. I started to use social media to find clients. And what really took the budget Nista off is that I started to work with organizations because people who I was helping one on one really didn't have the money and I felt guilty about charging them. So I started to work with organizations like the United Way was my first contract. They said, we want you to go into the community and teach for free and we'll pay you. And so that was awesome. I was like, oh my gosh, I got like my first, like, you know, $1,500 check to like, I think I had to teach for like, I think it was $1,500 for like a month's worth of work. I taught twice a week and I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And slowly but surely, I, you know, between social media, you know, working with these community organizations, I started to build the Budgetista and 
And now, you know, it's, it's so crazy. Especially in the last 10 years, my business has made well over $30 million. Wow. Can you imagine preschool yes. teacher Tiffany sleeping like in, in her middle school bed, teaching women how to get and stay on financial track, like teaching from a place of kindness and integrity, you know, teaching from a place where all like even if we do charge the, the, the customer, there's nothing in my thing that costs more than 30 bucks. Like, because wow. people told me I was crazy. They're like, girl, your prices are too low. But I teach for the Tiffany on that middle school bed. That's who I teach for. So a lot of what I do is totally free because she didn't even have 30 bucks a month. And if I do charge for something, I keep prices as low as possible, low enough that we could still run a successful business, pay everybody well, but low enough that people can have access. Because what's the point if you want to help people, they don't have access. And typically what I try to do is I try to subsidize it like, hey, brand, you pay so I could do it for free for my girls. So it's just been such an amazing ride. I mean, I've written book after book. I most recently wrote my first traditionally published book, Get Good With Money. It's a New York Times bestseller, which is crazy to me that you can go to Target and see my face on my book and you can go to Barnes and Nobles. I, I love Target. Who doesn't love Target? And Barnes and Nobles. My book is in there. You know, I have been like, I'm the only financial person they've ever had on Queer Eye. I have a dec- uh, documentary on Netflix now, Get Smart With Money. So good. Highly recommend. Thank you, Jessica. Honestly, it's been such, it's been about 15 years since I started the Budgetista, but really 10 years since I've been really serious because the first five years, I'm like, what am I doing? But, and to think of all bigger than what I've accomplished, like internally for myself, there are millions of women whose lives are better. Like a day doesn't go by that someone does not tell me either like when I'm out at Target or Whole Foods or whatever, or that does not message me and say, Tiffany, thank you so much because of you, I bought my house. Because of you, you know, I was able to save for school. Because of you, you know, my bills are on time. I've had at least five women say, Tiffany, I went from homeless to homeowner because of you. Wow. And it's just like, that's the legacy I want to leave. And I just feel like, Jessica, that like I was put here on this earth to be a teacher and I was too literal initially. I thought that I'm meant to be like preschool teacher Tiffany in the classroom. And I realize now that I teach on the world's classroom now. And, and as long as I do, like, you know, what my purpose is, which is to teach, that I'm going to be more than okay. Oh my gosh. Your story is so, so, so inspiring. Thank you. And it's so funny because, like, we teach like manifestation at um, to be magnetic. And so thinking of the manifestation process, your yeah. whole story hit every single moment, like having that rock bottom and then knowing like, okay, wait, you had this vision holder who came to you and said, no, 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 you're, you're okay. You got to process through that shame, which I think is such a big piece with money is the psychology and the shame. And like, how do we get out of that mindset? And then even you putting that action in, like following your intuition to take the action, to change and put yourself out there in alignment for your authenticity. Like it's just so, so beautiful to see. No, thank you. Honestly. And I, so I believe in manifestation. And one of the things that I did was I, I've always kept a vision board because I'm visual. I feel like everyone should figure out how they interact with the world and set their intention. So for me, because I'm a visual person, I like to have a physical board where I, where I see the pictures of things. Like I know for some people, like say if you're a photographer, then I would say take pictures of the things that you're wanting to bring into your life. If you're a writer, write them down, you know, and and put them on a vision board of like, here's what, how I want my life to go. You know, I, and I still check in because you can have all the things and still 
feel empty because there were moments when I was like, so I'm doing better than ever. I'm not happy. I'm not unhappy, but I'm not happy with where I am. And I looked down, I'm like, Tiffany, when's the last time you checked your GPS? You put in the coordinates two years ago. You've just been going. Have you even looked? If you hit the location, girl, you passed it three miles ago. <laughs> you know, you're not happy because now you're in this territory that you have not really chosen. You've just kind of like meandered here. I don't think people fully get this, Jessica, that the real work is not in the sowing. It's the reaping. So when you are planting for the things that you want, it seems like a lot of work. It's not, not comparatively speaking. What happens is you plant, you plant, you plant for years and years and years. And if you're consistent, you will hit a point where all of a sudden, all of those things you planted, now you have a whole orchard full of trees. And now you're like, oh my gosh, okay, I got to pick the apples. Oh my gosh, wait, we, we have to clean up the leaves on the ground. Oh my gosh, we have to make sure they're watered. Oh my. So it's like all of the work you've put in, now you're yielding the fruit and it's a lot to maintain the fruit. And what I realized is that if you keep sowing, girl, you're going to have to keep reaping. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to waste any time and energy. No, it's okay to say I have enough apples. I don't need any more trees. This is enough. We live in a social media time now where no one is able or willing to admit, maybe I've overshot what I actually need to be happy. I am drowning in the apples. And so it's just like, you know, one, two, three, even 10 was plenty. I still had time for family and friends and travel. Now I have 2,000. Do you know what it is to maintain 2,000 apples? You can't go out. You can't travel because you got to be right here. You can't have, you know, your time with boo because you got to be right here. And so that's the space I've entered in now. So it's like phases. The space that I've entered in now is being like, I have enough apples and I don't seek to, to acquire any more. Certainly some more might come. Okay, that's cute. But now I'm really just using my orchard to say, how can I serve? How can I give? How do I make space and time for the people I care about and love? Like I take my Wednesdays and Fridays off. Typically my late, like today's three o'clock and uh, like I, I get off at 3 p.m. After this, this is my, this is my only real thing I did. I take my podcast today and this, I take a walk almost every day. It's raining today, so I probably won't do that. I wake up every morning to meditation. I journaled this morning. Then I stretched. I have a lot of space because that's the space I'm in now. Because when I say I have enough, even though my inbox is flooded with opportunities, I mean, everybody wants to give me a show or an opportunity or spokesperson work or gigs. And I could say yes to all that and make more, but to what end? Right. Your peace, your internal peace. Yes. Yeah. It's like the law of diminishing returns that like water is good for you until you drink too much. And then you can literally drown yourself from the inside out. And so I'm just like, no, I'm okay. I have enough. That's such a powerful powerful space to recognize because I think so many people get there and then they don't know that now their power is not in the more, more, more. It's the no, no, no. It's saying no. It's saying, wow, I know this could happen if I wanted it to. I'm not afraid of it going away and I can say no to it. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So I'm quickly interrupting this episode to invite you if you're ready to start your manifestation journey or if anything you've heard in our manifestation episodes has piqued your interest to begin. 
We have a la carte workshops in everything from the basics bundle, which is what we recommend to everyone who starts. It's the formula that actually teaches you how to manifest unblocked inner child and unblocked shadow. We also have a la carte workshops on love and money. But the real gem is the Pathway membership because it encompasses every single workshop we have. It's a year-long membership with full access to the few a la carte offerings we have and exclusive workshops not available anywhere else, such as the daily practice, which is what everybody in the Pathway uses, hopefully at least three times a week to daily in order to truly create the new neural pathways that one needs in order to manifest and houses the library of our deep imaginings, which is our unique hypnosis process that allows you to get into your subconscious and overwrite those old neural pathways, creating the new ones. You can use our special code EXPANDED, all caps, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D, to receive $20 off your first a la carte workshop purchase or $20 off your first month of the pathway. Again, that's all caps, EXPANDED, E-X-P-A-N-D-E-D. Okay, now back to the episode. Okay, so let's get into a couple of finance tips and insights here because I know a lot of people probably resonate with even your story of going through the recession because they were in that same situation with the pandemic. The amount of people that wrote in that were like, I'm back at home with my parents, like I lost my job on unemployment. Maybe they drained their savings account. We call it an FU funds, you Mm -hmm. know, their emergency savings so they can quit their job and be like, F you, and then (laughs) find their new dream job after. But what would you say is kind of the fundamentals? And I know this is everything you teach on, but what are some of the fundamentals that you would say for someone who's just starting to pick up the pieces, build up that savings again, maybe start creating a plan to get out of debt? What would be some insight there? So there are tiers to budgeting, right? So if you're really, really, really struggling, I want you to look at what I call your health and safety budget. That's the first tier. That means you look at what do I need to pay for to maintain my health and safety? Everybody else can wait. I know like a finance person saying like, you ain't got to pay them. You don't have to pay them. Not never, ever, ever. So for example, if I have asthma and, you know, like, and I have my apartment, so I'm like, I'm going to take care of my medicine. You know, I want to make sure I have a safe place to live and I need to have access to my cell phone so I can find a job. But everybody else, my credit cards, my this and that, I am going to call them and say, hey, I'm struggling. And because of the pandemic, almost every company created some sort of program, whether it's we can pause payments, whether it's we can reduce your interest rate or whatever. You're going to call and say, I'm struggling and I don't have it to pay right now. What program do you have available? And if they don't have a program available, it's okay to say, well, when I get it, you get it. Your health and safety budget is first and foremost. That's what I first lived off. There were people who did not get paid. You know, it took months for me to get back to them. So when that happens, what's going to happen is one, your credit score is going to drop. Okay. And okay. Are you buying a car or house right now? No, because you're broke. You know, that's okay. (laughs) Guess what's so magical about credit scores? They can be fixed. We'll worry about that later. It's one of the easiest things to fix. So one, like your credit score is going to drop. Two, people are going to start harassing you. But the beauty of it is there's these laws in place that make that impossible if you know what to do. You're going to do like I did when people started calling me saying like, you know, one, who's this company? You're not going to admit to anything on the phone. Who are you with? Whatever. Okay. You're going to find them online. Then you're going to fax them old school. Go ahead on to Staples or wherever. 
a letter, a cease and desist letter that you go on Google from online. This is literally what I did. I found a cease and desist letter and said, hi, my name is Tiffany. This account, you know, account number 22911 for this, for, you know, this credit card, I'm asking that you no longer contact me via phone, but you want to give them a way to contact you. You can contact me via letter here and via email because I was a nervous wreck with my phone ringing all the time. The reason why you want to fax it, because you tell them on the phone, they can pretend like they didn't know. But when you fax, faxing gives you like a, um, a return receipt and they know, dang, they know the rules. Yes, I do. And so like I, some people didn't get paid temporarily, and I didn't let them harass me. Just because you owe someone money does not mean they have the right to mistreat you. So just internalize that. So that's health and safety first and foremost. If you're like, okay, it's not as bad for me. I can, I can afford my bills. Then you're going to move on to the noodle budget. So your noodle budget, I want you to pretend like you're back in college again. You're eating ramen noodles for, you know, three times a day. And your noodle budget is your basic bare bones budget. That means when you cut out anything, that's not essential. So meaning, so the difference, health and safety, there's some bills that you do owe, but you're just like, I don't have it. But as long as I take care of health and safety, noodle budget is I pay all my bills, but that's it. I have to do my own hair. You know, I'm not going out with my friends. I'm not shopping at Whole Foods. I'm going to go to Aldi. And so the noodle budget is like literally the bare bones budget because that's all you can afford. And then the third budget is just your regular budget. And if you're just like, okay, I actually do have my job. I was able to move back home and I'm able to save. Then I want you to hunker down and save as much as possible. I want you to, when you're saving, I want you to visualize, this is a preschool teacher in me, that you're saving like a squirrel. So in New Jersey, squirrels are most active during the fall and the spring because that's when acorns are in abundance. And then you don't really see squirrels in the wintertime because there are really not many acorns to be had. And so they're living off of their fall and spring haul. Human beings don't do that. This is what we do. Things are good, we spend the most. Things are bad, we run around trying to figure out what to do. Squirrels don't do that. When things are good, they save the most because they know financial winter is coming. So if you are fortunate that you're like, okay, I actually have some money. You know, I was able to move back home with my parents or whatever. Save when you have the most so you can see your way through financial winters. And so those are kind of like the three steps, three tiered steps to see your way through. Because even though technically we're kind of in a recession, they won't say that it is, but it's feeling very recession-y. And so I suspect that things are going to get worse before they get better. And so saving is going to be your, your, your best friend. Even with inflation being high, you have to have something to fall back on. Saving a high interest uh, yield like savings account to at least offset some of the inflation. But having cash on hand is really going to be important during times like this. And how long, especially now, like given where the markets and everything's at, how big of an emergency fund or savings account would you say? Would it be three to six? Would it be six to nine? Would it be a year? Ideally, what would you want someone to shoot for? Ideally, I would start shooting for at minimum three. And then you're going to look at your industry and say, if I were to lose my job, how quickly could I replace my income? So my mom was a nurse for like 30 years. I remember distinctly being in high school, her hospital closed down. Before the hospital even closed, we were getting 50 calls a day. Hi, Sylvia. We'd love for you to... Hi, Sylvia. She did not need... She's retired now. She did not need six months because Sylvia could replace her income in one day because nurses then and now are in high demand. So for her, three months, is like, that's enough cushion. My sister, engineer, it took her almost two years to find her first job out of college. She's going to need more at least six months to maybe a year for her because if she loses her job as an engineer, it might be very difficult for her to replace that income. 
That's a really, really smart way to think about it too. Because, I, you know, it's not a one-stop shop answer for every single person. No. So I think a baseline of three is good. But then other than that, it really depends on your industry. What do you suggest for budgeting? Because this is the number one thing. I'm very into budgeting. I've been budgeting forever. I use Mint. There's a million different budget apps out there. I keep trying to convince my friends, like, you have to take inventory of where your finances are at, and you won't know that without budgeting and seeing where the money's going. What tips do you give people who are just like, I'm not going to itemize my expenses. I know I'm not going to follow through with that spreadsheet every month. You know, they're not going to sit down and go through all of that. Like, what is the biggest tip or insight you have for someone who has a really hard time going through everything? So I'm going to give you the tip for my friends. I call it budget without budgeting. Because you're right. I like at the teacher and me likes to meet you where you are. You're like, you ain't going to budget, girl. That's okay. This is what you are going to do. You're going to look at your, your bills and say, how much do my bills cost me monthly? Then you're going to determine after that how much do you want to save for your emergency savings account and then how much you want to save for specific goals. So you might want to save to invest later and save to buy a house, save to buy a car. And then after that, what's really left over for cash expenditure? So that's like, you know, grooming, entertainment, but also groceries and things like that. So you're going to have four buckets, two checking, two savings, checking one bills, checking two spending, savings one emergencies, savings two goals. So now those are your four accounts. So now you kind of know your basic numbers and then you're going to go to HR or payroll and say, I need to split it before I get it. And you're going to say, hey, every check, now, I have a small company, relatively speaking, and we can split your check up to four ways. So most places will allow you to do this. And if they don't, I'll show you another way. So you're going to say, hey, every check I get, I need you to put this amount of money in my bills, this amount of money in my, my spending checking account, this amount of money in my emergency savings account, this amount of money in my goal savings. They're going to budget for you. Your money's going to come in and split before you get and your savings is going to save without you having to think about it. Your bills account, you're not going to get a debit card attached to your bills account. You do not have to have a, a debit card attached to your checking account. You can say, now nah, I'm good. And you're going to set up your bills account to pay your bills for you automatically. I don't let people come in. I have the money sent out. And then the only thing that I have to worry about is what's on my debit card. So when I go food shopping, when I get my hair done, when I do entertainment stuff with my friends, I'm like, bills are paid, saving is saved, I'm good. That's how you budget without budgeting, by splitting it before you get it. If you're not one for a budget and looking at every note, you ain't got to do all that. Start there and you're going to breathe easy every month. Like, did I save? Yes. Did I save for emergencies? Yes. Do I have my bills paid? Yes. Whatever's on this card is money that I can spend however I want. Even if it's 50 bucks, 100 bucks every week, whatever that is, you know you're not spending that other essential money. So that is one of the best ways to set up a budget without it. Now, if your job, your payroll says we can't split it into four different accounts, we can only do two or whatever, then what I like to do is the checking account for my spending I like to have that be also be my deposit account. Everything lands there. And then I tell my bank on the 1st and the 15th or the 16th and the 31st or whatever to send my money to the other accounts. So day after money hits, I have my bank automatically shift that money to those other accounts. So you can split it before you get it yourself if, you're, if your job doesn't do that. And so like that's one of the best ways to start budgeting without all the nuance of adding up every nook and cranny and this and that. And it's like you, you can get there later, but if you can literally start that tomorrow and go to HR and payroll and say, I need to split before I get, tell them the budget needs to send you. 
So would you recommend those four separate accounts to be in the same bank? Is it okay if there are different banks or different institutions? So I like my savings and checkings to live in two separate houses. Because if you're like me, you go to Target, you're like, ooh, I want that dress. That's really cute. Checking says, girl, we don't have it. And savings says, we got it. And you're like, I'm just going to make that transfer. If they live in the same house, girl, they're just going to transfer to each other and your savings is going to be eaten up. But if my savings is at an online-only bank, that's my favorite, an online-only bank, the transfer takes typically a minimum of 24 hours. So that means unless you're pulling up a sleeping bag and sleeping in Target, you're not getting that dress. And it forces you to pause and say, do I even really need it the next day? You don't. Typically, it's just that you're excited in the moment. So that's one. I like to have my two savings in an online-only bank. Online-only being like the Capital One has one ally. There's a great website called magnifymoney.com that lists like great banks that have no fees, high interest. And then my checking out of my regular, regular like credit union or bank, but separate. Smart. That's a really, really good one. And then for someone who is in their out-of-debt plan, I guess is the best thing consolidating, like you were saying in the beginning, consolidating, trying to get that interest rate lower. And then I also like one thing you had mentioned, you know, in the Netflix special too, that you gave advice to the person was like, once you have some of that high interest debt paid off and you have, let's say a bigger debt, like a student loan, when, when you're paying debt, do you get to start living your life Yes, yes. (laughs) and getting to do a vacation, even if you have debt, you know, at what point can you start to transition to living your life, even though you have that to pay off? So someone on Twitter was mad at me because I had told her that. Girl, like, you said student loan debt ain't going nowhere, sis. You better enjoy. So I learned this lesson when I was paying off the credit card debt that, you know, Jack the Thief helped to put me in. So it took me about two and a half years once I really buckled down and to pay it off. During that time, I didn't live as much because the credit card debt was... was one is because I had, you know, I had rolled it over and consolidated. So credit card debt, if you have a good credit score, it could really be in your best interest to say, okay, I can get access to credit and roll it over to another card that has 0% interest. So all the money I'm paying toward it will go to the actual debt and not the interest. So that's a good place to look. If you don't have good credit, you might just start using like the snowball method, which is when you list your debt from lowest to highest and start paying it off in, in order. So that's what I did first is like one, with debt, you create a plan. Am I going to use the snowball method? Am I going to use the avalanche method? That's when I list my debt from most expensive interest rate to less expensive interest rate and pay off the highest interest rate debt first, but create the plan first so you can kind of set it and semi-forget it. So, you know, you're creating the plan. I'm going to consolidate my debt. I'm going to use the snowball method. Then I'm going to automate it. And then if it's credit card debt, you know, if you haven't said it and forget it and it's pretty aggressive and you still have a little money left over, you can start vacationing now. If it's like, no, my, my interest rate is so astronomical, it's 20 percent. I would really buckle down and make that like, OK, for the next year and a half, this is what we're paying off. Then, I mean, I'm debt free like a four year old right now, like no mortgage, no car, no, no nothing. But that's not typical. And so if you're going to wait to live life until you're debt free, no, I would just say, Buckle down if your debt is double-digit interest rate. So if your debt is costing you more than 10%, buckle down and get rid of that. And then once that happens, you can kind of set it and forget it and paying down the debt in a reasonable way, but continue to live life. You know, so I would probably just pause enjoyment if the debt was really expensive because on average, the market is going to bring back about 10% annually. So if the debt is costing you more than 10%, that means you're losing out either way. 
that the better investment is to get rid of that debt than it is to invest. And so that's kind of like the rule of thumb. If the debt is more than 10%, buckle down and get rid of it. If it's under 10%, pay the minimum plus continue to live life as you pay it down responsibly. And what about retirement and wealth growing goals? Both retirement for like someone starting out, like how soon should they start getting in on things? But then I think of like my parents and my parents' friends who are getting closer to retirement. They have some savings. Some of them are doing well. Some of them with the market dipping so much, they're like, wow, I'm going to have to work so many more years now just to build that back up. What advice would you have for someone just starting out with retirement stuff? And then also for someone who is really close to retirement, is there any other last things that they should be thinking about getting close to that retirement age? So if you're just starting out, I would say as soon as you start working, you should start setting aside for retirement. I mean, even if you're a teenager, like I have my bonus daughter, she's 16. She does my TikToks for me and I pay her $20 a TikTok and she can make oh, upwards yes. <laughs> no, she can make upwards <laughs> of $400 a month. Like, cause we do, we could do upwards of 20 TikTok or 10 TikToks a week. I can't remember whatever the amount is, right? But she could like, her max is $400 in a month. So because of that, I said, no, 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 sis. All that's not your money. No, no. I was just talking to her mother today. <laughs> She said, girl, how much of this money is Alyssa putting up for retirement? Because she's been out here spending Bed Bath & Beyond, Foot Locker. (laughs) She said, I told Alyssa, if I see one more charge on this card, it's going to be me and you, sis. Her mother, Shantae, we're really cool. And so she was like, how much of it, because her retirement money is going to be coming out soon. Through my financial advisor, we set her up a, a Roth IRA. So I told her how much to like that Alyssa has to set behind. And then also told her that she's, I'm making her, aside from retirement, I'm making her save 25% just for her normal savings, which she's been rolling her eyes. I'm like, girl, you ain't got to like it. It's happening. Setting aside for retirement is a good deal. So she has a Roth IRA, which is when you set aside for retirement after taxes. So starting right away and maxing out, especially if you're living at home and your your bills are not as much. Right now, I want to say, I think, because I know for Alyssa, I was talking to my financial advisor, it's like $6,000 for her Roth, the max she can put in there. And so we're trying to max out how much she has there. If she can do that year after year, she'll be like a millionaire by the time she's 30. That's why I said she's rolling her so eyes now. Wild. I know. Um, but when she's 30, she's like, oh my God, Tiffy. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I hope you take care of me when I'm old, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> and so I say, start now, start now, start now. Max out whenever possible. If you have a matching program at your job, at the very least, put in what the match is. If they match you to 3%, put in 3%. So you get a total of 6%. Ideally, in order to see yourself through retirement, you have to put anywhere from 10 to 12% up. Like they really say more if you're a woman because typically women live longer. So you're looking at maybe 15% you want of, your, of your income that you want to set aside if you want to stop working. Now, if you're someone who's already in it, so this is something like, I don't, I don't know if my dad did it because he's so hard-headed. Now, like the tables have turned, right? So I was like, daddy, why are you so heavily invested in the market? You're 80. The closer <laughs> you get to retirement, the more your investment should not be volatile because he's 80. So if all your money's in the market, bro, we're here now. You're retired. So now what you living off of? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I actually have to ask him about like, like, I mean, he hasn't called me stressed, so he might have listened because last time we had that dip pre-pandemic or right in the beginning of the pandemic and then it rose up again. And I told him, take most of your money out of the market. Maybe 15% you can keep in it. So if you have 10 years to retirement, you should really start to transition into like bonds and cash equivalent. If you're five years out, especially because this is what can happen. The market could take a dip and it might take 10 years to correct. You don't have 10 years, you retire in two. 
But if you're here now and it's already happened, honestly, I implore you to meet with a financial advisor, a certified financial planner, somebody who's fee-based. You can literally just pay for an hour or two of someone's time. You're looking at anywhere from $150 to $300. It's worth the investment to sit and say, here's where I am. Here's where I want to be. Can you tell me, you know, can you give me some, some feedback? And so that's what I would do if I was really close and I'm not really sure, you know, because I can advise you individually. I'm not a financial advisor, but that's what I would suggest that if you're a few years out, you know, not now because the market is so volatile, but just knowing that that's a good rule of thumb that if you're 10 years out, you should be safer and safer investments because you don't know what the market is going to bring. Really, really smart. And I think too, if you have your retirement invested and the market's down and you are self-investing, it really is so important to work with someone who's an expert in this who can be like, okay, cool. We might need to move things around, figure out what our asset allocation is, shift it. So you're getting the max you can potentially get in these next two years, let's say. Exactly. Because, and also too, you have to understand that a, a really good financial advisor is not just there to help you with investments. They're to help to also look to see, are you insured enough? Like you have a house, you have a $500,000 house and your insurance is 200,000. So if something happens to you and you're the primary breadwinner, how will they pay that mortgage? So, you know, a financial advisor is going to also look to see your insurance. So I like to have my people separate. So my financial advisor doesn't sell insurance. She's not motivated for me to get insurance so she can get money. So instead, she literally just looked at my insurance and said, girl, you're underinsured. Go hit your company up that you have insurance with and increase it. It doesn't give any money in her pocket. So I knew this is just good, solid advice. I'm like, oh, she's right. If you have children, you're wanting to get ideally around 10 times your, your income. So you know for the next 10 years, your income will still be here even if you're not. You know, And you also want to get enough to cover any debt. But also, too, there's like rental insurance in case you're renting. Like a friend of mine, her poor cat got sick and she spent $6,000 trying to save it. The poor cat ended up passing away. She didn't have pet insurance. So now she's got another cat and a dog and she has pet insurance on both. So that way, if something does happen, she can financially bear the burden of looking after them without it almost draining her. And so a financial advisor is going to look at, like I said, your insurance. It's going, they're going to help you with investing, but they're also going to holistically, ideally you want one that's going to, that's what I like certified financial planners, holistically look at your life. What are your goals? You want to live here. You want to buy this. They're going to look at your budget. They're going to listen to you when you say, I want to set aside money for my kids or I want to look after my parents. Like for me, I have a financial advisor that literally I meet with her like every other month because I have businesses and all these other things happening. But even if you just have a financial advisor that you meet with once a year and you pay that $300 just to be like, what's the plan? Okay. So typically for them to create a full plan, you're looking at probably like $1,000, maybe $1,200 to create a plan that you can then do yourself. But having a checkup for 300 bucks a year uh, to save you tens of thousands, if not more, is worth it. Yeah, you talk about having the money team. So is that including, you know, your certified financial planner, insurance broker, estate planning attorney, all of those sorts of things? Yeah, so you don't have to have all those. So 22-year-old Tiffany did not in this. I have an estate planning attorney now, but that's because I'm 42. I have a lot of estates. But you need an estate plan. At 22, my estate plan is, are my beneficiaries updated? which is my mom. And my life insurance policy at work, whose name is on there? There's no name you need to put somebody. Your, your bank, do you know your bank account? You could put beneficiaries on your bank accounts? My mom. That was 22-year-old Tiffany. But grown Tiffany now is like, I have a trust. I have my sisters. I have my stepdaughter. I have, you know. So you don't necessarily need a state planning attorney. It depends on where you are in life. At the very least, I say you need an accountability partner. 
So someone other than you that's cheering you on and you're cheering them on, they don't have to be a financial expert, educator. Like that's like my best friend, Linda. Like, girl, these are my goals. I keep her accountable. She helps me accountable. That's one. Two, certified financial planner, potentially. If you're an adult past the age of 25, 26, at least it's good to talk to someone. Like I said, it just might be an annual review. Three, you might need an insurance broker. And if you drive a car, rent a house, own a house, then an insurance broker, it's just, it's, it's great if you do everything at one place. So I have an insurance broker where I'm like, I need this type of insurance. And because I have other insurances with them, they're able to give me a better deal. This is separate than for my financial planner. You might need an accountant, depending. If you have a very simple 1040 easy tax return, you just need some TurboTax. But if you have businesses and homes and things like that, then an accountant is going to be helpful. And then yes, an attorney, an attorney that might help with like your estate planning and otherwise. So those are potentially people that you might want to look into having on your team. And I didn't have all these people. I started off with my accountability partner. And the next person I added, like maybe in my early 30s was my accountant. And then I just met Anjali, my financial advisor, like four years ago. So she's fairly new. Tony, my estate planner, was like two years ago. So it's not like, oh, I have to have all these things. Like, no, as I needed them, I added them on. My insurance broker I got early. I didn't even think it was like a thing. It was just like, well, this is the guy I go to for insurance. And I negotiate down based upon how many other things that I have with them. And so money is a team sport. You should not be doing it alone. It's almost how you furnish your apartment. Yes. It's like step by step. You don't have to like run out and get all of them at once. It's like allow them to come in as you need it. And even just knowing, because I don't feel like people talk about this that much, that you do need support, that you do need a team. You do need experts to be going to if you want to be smart with your money going forward. So I think that's really expansive to know like, okay, that is what I'm shooting for is to create this team over time. No, exactly. And and that I think that that's like, if I really had to like snapshot my life, I feel like any place that I've been successful has been just that, step by step by step. I don't do all the things I want because it's not, you're typically not able to be consistent or maintain it. I just do step by step. I'm like, okay, what can I do this year? And then what can I do? Every year I kind of set like some some goals, like this is the year I'm going to finally open that investment account. Okay. This is the year I'm going to get my budget together. Okay. And you might think, oh, but I want to do all the things or whatever. But, you know, you're not likely to keep up with it. It is okay to say step by step because in five years, you'll be that much closer. This is the year, for example, I finally did my trust. So it's better than nothing because last year I finally did my will. And two years before that, I finally found a financial advisor. And this is like me well into like growing wealth and businesses and things. So I don't I don't beat myself up over that. I'm like, we're here now, aren't we? Okay, well, then here we go. I love that. It feels so much more approachable. Yeah. Okay. Last question, thought. You had this quote on the special and I thought it was literally my favorite line from the entire thing. Your money will never do better than your mindset will allow. Talk about how you cultivate a good money mindset. So I think one of the best ways to cultivate a good money mindset is one, identify your core values first and foremost. Your core values are like the why before the why before the why before the why. So for example, I bought the home I live in now cash. And it's like, why? Well, because, you know, I wanted a home. But why in cash? Well, I just wanted to not, you know, have to think about a mortgage. But why? Well, you know, last time I had a mortgage, I lost a house to foreclosure. So why? Well, I need safety. Core values don't really shift. So safety and security is a core value. Adventure 
Because I realized, I'm like, how come you love traveling so much? Oh, one of your core values is adventure. How come you like working? Oh, one of your core values is accomplishments. How come you like, you know, you give all the stuff away for free? Oh, one of your core values is philanthropy and service. You see, so once you identify your core values, then you match your money to that, not the opposite way around. A lot of times you feel misaligned mentally with your money is because you have not identified your core values because they're there. They're literally living in you. Like, girl, whether you call my name or not, we're in class. Mm-hmm. And so you're misaligned <laughs> because you're doing things with your money that don't connect with your core value. Because if safety and security are a core value and you're spending more money than you make every month, you're going to be stressed. And so you identified your core values. And then you look at your financial decisions and ask, how do I align the way I purchase this house, the way I spend money on the weekends, the the way I use money for entertainment? Where does this align to these core values that exist in me? That is one of the best ways to start to create, intentionally create this money mindset by being like, it's the mindset first, the money second. And, And then checking in. You know, don't be like me. You set the GPS and five years later, you look down like, wait, I was supposed to turn three years ago. (laughs) And so that understanding that mindset also shifts. Your money mindset is also going to shift. Your core values likely won't, but it will shift to say, I don't need to buy a house in cash anymore to feel safe. That was because I lost the house 10 years ago. Girl, you good now. You can afford a mortgage if you wanted one. You see what I mean? The core value is the same safety, but I'm like, girl, you literally could take home seven figures a year. That's what you're taking home. I think you can afford a $3,000 mortgage. So, because it still maintains the safety for me. So that's why you see the money can shift as long as I'm clear about my core value. So spend time to ask yourself when you make a decision, why? But why? But why? Until you get down to the rock bottom of it all. Because I don't feel safe. Because I like peace. Because I like adventure. Even Google core values so you can see some cores. Because relationships, love is a core. You know what I mean? These are core values. So for example, I might get an opportunity that says, hey, Tiffany, we want you to do this you know, major thing and we're going to pay you hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, okay. But then I'm like, oh, I feel a little weird about it. It's because one of my core values is also relationships. And it's like, oh, I was supposed to go to my niece's and my nephew's little play. And it's the same time as this. So if I do this, certainly I'll make money, but nowhere on my core values is money a core value for me. Because I ask myself, if I make this extra 300000 does it affect my safety and security? No, because I, I have multiple seven figures put up. Okay. Is this a sense of accomplishment? No. Girl, I just want you to sit in front of this thing and say, yeah, 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 yeah. Does it affect my relationships? Yes, because all my sisters are going to their play, my mom and my dad, and you won't be there. So then why say yes for more money? That's why you feel funky about it because your core values are screaming like, no, girl, don't do it. And so that's how I started to make decisions internally. Like it is more money. 300,000 is a lot of money, but it doesn't align with core values. So you're not going to feel right. You're going to be sitting there the whole time mad that you're making extra money, but you're losing out on life. Oh, I love, love, love that. It's so funny because we have something called authentic code, which is essentially these core values. And we always say, especially with your manifestations, like whatever's on your list, if it doesn't align with your authentic code, why are you calling that in? Like you're using it to validate yourself. And that's in sort of an unaligned place. You're never going to get that true happiness from that. No, exactly. And it's hard for people to get there, especially when you're struggling financially. It's easy to say, easy for you to say, Tiffany, you got money. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't. And so I have been broke, broke. I have been semi-broke. I have been working, but semi-broke. I have been middle. I have been high and I have been where I am now. I have been all the places. And I'll tell you one thing, that past a certain point, the money did not add to my happiness. 
Once I reach safety and security level, I paid off my parents' house. I paid off my house. I don't have a car note. Once I reach safety and security, additional money literally feels like nothing. Because of my core value, that bucket is full. Imagine having a big, huge bowl of grapes. You have 10,000 grapes in your bucket. And someone says, here's five more. What does that mean? Nothing. But imagine you have a bucket and there's five grapes in there. And someone says, here's five more. Oh, that shifts your reality. So it is okay to, to stretch and grow toward you wanting your finances to hit a certain place where that core value bucket is filled. But I promise you beyond that, the chasing beyond that literally takes away because now you're balancing the grapes in the bucket. Like I can't have any more because they're going to spill. <laughs> where do I store them all? Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> now you're like, oh boy, I'm in the overreaping stage. It's too much. I'm stressed. And so... One of the reasons, one of the things I'm most proud of outside of the, like the Netflix special, Get Smart With Money, go ahead and watch and stream it, is my, yes. um, my New York Times bestselling book, Get Good With Money. I wanted to write like a blueprint of how do you holistically take care of your money in a way that aligns with who you are and how you show up, no judgment. I'm not here to tell you what to do with your money. I'm here to say, here are the tools to figure out how to do it based upon what you actually want. And so when I wrote Get Good With Money, it's, it's 10 simple steps to financial wholeness. I coined that phrase financial wholeness because I wanted people to understand that like your money is merely a tool. It is not the goal. It is a goal. It is not the tool. It's just merely a tool so you can reach this holistically happy life. And it's one, just one of the tools you have available to you. And if I can help you master your money, you can finally take it off your table to say, this is what's holding me back. And you can really reach for the life that you deserve and want. 100%. And I love the book too, because it's so actionable. No matter what place you are at financially, you can benefit from checking in with the steps, from taking the steps, from putting in that work, because it is like we were saying that step-by-step -step process. It's going to take time to get all of those things together. And it's such, it's honestly the most comprehensive, like, okay, you don't know what to do with your money. Just start here. And by the end of this, you will figure it out. <laughs> yes. I love it. Because, you know, the preschool teacher in me was like, that's what I wanted. It's a start here book. You can give it to your mom. You know, you could give it to your friend who's newly divorced. You could give it to your cousin who's 18 and, and, and going off to college. It literally, I worked really hard to make sure that it's a start here. But then let's just say you've already done a lot of things. Each financial wholeness chapter represents a subject. So like budgeting, savings, debt, credit, learning to earn, investing, insurance, net worth, money team, and, and estate planning. But literally every chapter can stand alone, but also built upon the one before. So like you can literally say, mm, girl, I don't need budgeting, saving, I'm good on that. I'm going to stri jump straight to investing. And you can, and the investing chapter will teach you all you need to know, even if you didn't do the chapters before. But if you did the chapters before, it enriches that chapter. The teacher in me worked really hard because it's like a lesson plan. Every day builds on the day before, but every lesson also has to stand alone. So I was very mindful about working really hard to make sure that depending on the kind of learner you were, in school they call it differentiated learning. And so the, depending on what you needed to know, that I, I gave you those tools. So I'm so happy to hear you say it's super comprehensive, but yet not overwhelming. I didn't want anybody to feel overwhelmed. Yeah, no, not overwhelming at all. And I think that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like one of those books that no matter what stage you are at with your financials, you can pick up and be like, wait, okay, am I on track? Did I grow this step? Did I expand upon this? How's my money team looking now? As you start checking off some of these steps, going back and be like, oh yeah, I remember that debt chapter. Like I really needed to work in there. And now I don't even have to open that section. Yes. You know, you can see your growth over time. Yes. Oh, 
Thank you so much, Tiffany. You seriously are gifted in this. I'm just so thankful to have you on. Where can everyone find you? The book, obviously the show on Netflix, book on bookstores everywhere and Amazon website. Tell us all the things. Yeah, certainly you can watch Get Smart With Money on Netflix. Hope you enjoy. And I am the budget niece on all the socials, TikTok, because of Alyssa, yes. <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, <laughs> even Facebook, and thebudgetnista.com. And if you want my book, Get Good With Money, you can get it, yes, wherever books are sold, but also getgoodwithmoney.com. There's a free toolkit when you go to getgoodwithmoney.com that you can download whether you get the book or not. That's really helpful. Also. You have a really good quiz on your website too. Yes. That really shows you like, where are you at with your financial plan? Even if you think you're so far along, I promise there's more <laughs> that you can be doing. Yes. It's my financial wholeness quiz. It goes from, you know, 10% or hundred percent. People send me screenshots like, girl, why am I 20%? I'm like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll get there. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Jessica. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did and all of us did at TBM. I wanted to do a little summary for you guys, one of my favorite things, because there was such good advice in this episode, but really to give you one tangible breakdown step. And, you know, this is something that I'm starting to do and implement and I think could be really, really helpful for you guys as well. If you walk away from this episode thinking, okay, where do I step one? Well, step one, you can start with perhaps her book or check out the Netflix special. Think about what pings are kind of coming to you about where to potentially start. You could do even our aligned action, deep imagining to see like, okay, what calls to me first to begin on this journey? But one thing I want to make sure you guys go back to, we have it in our unblocked money course, is your authentic money code. We said this in previous episodes before, but go back to that code. Really understand what are the things that bring me joy in spending, saving money? What is all the money for? You know, what is what am I hoping to feel and bring to my life with it? And cross-reference that with your authentic code, which may be a little less tied to money, and have that idea when you start to go through this checklist of financial education and empowerment. How can you keep that through line through everything you're doing? One thing I'm going to do to keep myself accountable is to set a monthly check-in on the calendar. I have one obviously for my manifestations and I will have one for my financial goals. And that'll be specifically about where I'm at. What do I need to do? What is my goal for the next year, for the next month? Is there automated payments I need to make or is there something I need to shift and continue to take inventory to make sure where I'm growing to is in alignment with all of those codes. So just a little tip for anyone out there of some actionables post this episode. 